What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, and, of course, Total Beverage, both in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, is a very frustrated Arif Dean right now. Arif, do you want to get into your haircut rant, or do, do we want to fill the people in on your frustrations here? So I went to a new barber today in Highlands Ranch because I recently <laughs> moved to a new apartment here, and uh, he decided to mess with, you know, you know those lines above above your eyebrows, right under where your bangs are, that kind of like shape the way your hair is shaped. He decided that he just wanted to do away with those for some reason. And now I look like Peyton Manning. It's just a big box. It starts from my <laughs> eyebrows. It goes up to where my bangs are. There's a line up there. I literally, I have the Peyton Manning box forehead right now and I am not happy. Yeah. Of, of course, this is a hockey podcast where we tend to stick to hockey and we don't really deviate, but it's just rattling you so bad right now. On your yeah, I just I just feel like Peyton Manning. I feel like I should do the entire podcast. Uh, I'm Peyton Manning <laughs> without the money to afford a barber. That doesn't screw up my hair on a Thursday in Colorado. So if anybody knows any good barbers, hit me up in the DMs, please. I beg you. And if you need... Any kind of recommendations or any kind of idea of how I cut my hair, just look at my profile picture because that was taken before this dude made me look like Peyton Manning. Back when you just had immaculate hair, right? Yeah. I, I'm i about as frustrated as the Avalanche are after blowing a two-goal lead to the Columbus <laughs> Blue Jackets from late in the second period until overtime. Yeah. I mean, of course, they still got a point, so it wasn't a complete loss, but it really feels like they really blew that one. So let's get into that era of, like you said, a 5-4 overtime loss. And uh, I guess let's, let's start with the blowing of another lead. We talked about it a little bit last week and how that happened then. And of course, they were 2-1 going into the third period of this one with Columbus. It really felt like a slow game, right? It was crazy that the third period popped off with five goals. Um, and most unfortunate that three of them were from Columbus. Yeah, so this is kind of the way the game was shaking out where the Avalanche just didn't have a lot of firepower in there. Obviously, McKinnon, Landis, Scott, Kadri, those are three really good players, and then there was everybody else. And that's no disrespect to Comfer or Jost or even Logan O'Connor, but you know their second power play unit consisted of Kaut, consisted of Sherwood, Ranta, um, just a lot of guys that aren't you, and Tyson Jost is on the power play, like just a lot of guys that aren't supposed to be put in these offensive positions because that's not you know, their specialty and their expertise. But when you're losing Makar and Rantanen and Burakovsky and Nichushkin, it starts to add up real quick. So the game in the beginning, the whole purpose of that is to say like from, from opening face off until the, until 37, 36 minutes into the game. So late in the second period, the game was shaking out to be one of those games where Columbus gets choked offensively by the Avs who score one, two, maybe three goals and uh, win a very sound, defensive, uneventful offensive game because they're missing a lot of firepower. And that's the kind of game they were playing. They had their backup goalie in net, and he was fine. Don't Third string goalie. Third string goalie, I should say. I mean, he's been the backup <laughs> for the last year because the other guy's been hurt since 1999. But, uh, but the, the whole purpose is they played it to a T until the final five minutes of the second period. And then everything just unraveled. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we could get into the unraveling. I, I did want to touch on some other things, but we'll get back to those. So, um, you know, obviously it was a big effort issue in Jared Bednar's eyes, right? I mean, he even had, took a minute to uh, point out that it, it, these were pre- preventable goals. I mean, yeah, I as much as I like to throw stones at Johansson, and don't get me wrong, he didn't play at a point where I'm delighted whatsoever, but you can't point the finger at him entirely for these goals. They were team goals and, and more so a lack of effort goals. Yeah, so here's the whole thing that I have before we get into the preventable goal thing. The whole thing that I have on Johansson's game yesterday, Wednesday against the Blue Jackets, is the Avalanche for 35 minutes protected their third string goalie. And then not only did they stop protecting him, but they made him face opportunities and chances that they wouldn't even let Kemper face because they played better in front of Kemper. And this is your third string goalie. It's not his chance to make 10 grade A saves in 25 minutes because you're giving up the puck that many times. Had the Avalanche played a good, sound defensive game for those last 25 minutes, even if they gave up the one goal they gave up late in the in the second, the one where they were hemmed in their own zone, and then eventually Jake Bean made it 2-1. to one. Even if they just gave up that goal, let's say the third period was uneventful, Nazem Kadri scores an empty netter, they went 3-1, everybody would be praising Johansson. And that's the problem with goalie performances is – In order for Johansson to have received praise yesterday on Twitter for having a great game from the fan base, it would have required the Avalanche to not have the breakdowns they had. And the problem isn't him letting in the goals. The problem was the breakdowns in front of him. And they were absolutely preventable goals. The Avalanche just didn't do their part as a team. Well, this isn't a new issue, Arif, either. If you remember back to last year, that's exactly what ran Hunter Miska out of the NHL for the time being, right? Is It didn't seem like it was a Hunter Miska problem. It really seemed like it was the guys in front of him. And that's why Johansson's even in town. So, um, yeah, this again, this isn't a new problem. And it's a lot like the injuries. It just seems like we're in a washing machine here, just going round and round with the same issues, the same conversations over and over for the last three, four seasons. And the thing with Hunter Miska is obviously the less skilled the goalie is, the more of a chance he's going to let in goals when you have breakdowns in front of him. So if Johansson was going to let in three or four goals yesterday on those breakdowns, Hunter Miska may have let in a few more. But the fact of the matter is, because obviously in my opinion, Johansson is definitely a better goalie than Miska. But the fact of the matter is the Avalanche shot themselves in the foot knowing that they were playing their third string goalie against a team that's not supposed to be a high scoring team. Granted, the Blue Jackets are 6-3, and three, and I, I said this last week when everybody considered the Blue Jackets as two sure thing wins, that this team will outwork you. And boy, did they outwork you. Their 18-year-old rookie, Cole Sillinger, scored two goals because of him hustling to get to the puck before a lot of veterans on the avalanche. So they got outworked by a younger team, the youngest team in the league, and uh, they they shot themselves in the foot and they didn't, they didn't really give Johansson a chance there in the third period. I mean, the goal late in the second, it happens. The Blue Jackets finally got a good shift and they pinned the avalanche in their own zone and it was a long shift and eventually Jake Bean scored. Granted, he kind of beat uh, Johansson on a five hole. You want him to save that, but it's okay because you have a two to one lead. Kadri's buzzing, Bowen Byram's buzzing. Logan O'Connor had a nice goal on that two on one. Everybody's doing their part except for the Avalanche's power play. But then the third period came around and they just, they, they didn't really give him a chance. So like, let, let's get into the preventable goals here. I mean, I think that's really 
the the topic, right? I mean, four goals, and again, I don't think you point your finger directly at Johansson. While there was something he could have done on each and every one of them, I mean, you had one bounce off EJ's skate. You had one crazy play out of the corner. You had one where McDermott was on the ice and, and trying to do his best EJ impression. So um, let's get into the, the preventability of these goals. Yes. So obviously, like I said, Jake Bean made it two to one because the avalanche had a very bad shift in the second period. They got hemmed in their own zone to the point where you kind of saw guys floating around and chasing the play. But then, uh, and if you haven't read it already, uh, my Dean's list for yesterday's game, it's on milehighsports.com, kind of break down, breaks down every single Columbus Blue Jackets goal, all five of them. Arif, that might have been your best Dean's list yet, just, just so I could tell all the listeners. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, Jared Bednar said it best. He said, go back on the tape on the goals we gave up. I don't like any of them. They are all preventable. So that's exactly what I did. I went back on the tape on all five of them and my Dean's list, which usually consists of five different topics from the game, was me breaking down all five goals, trying to figure out exactly. Because, you know, when you're watching it in real time, it's one thing. But then when you hear the coach say something like that, you're going to go back and watch and try to pinpoint what exactly was preventable. So on the Jake Bean play, the first goal, the Avalanche simply just got outworked and they, you know, were hemmed in their own zone. It happens. But then the second goal, this is when it started to get interesting. So I'm going to read actually directly off of Dean's list how I wrote this. Picture this. The Avalanche are up a goal. It's early in the third period and they're trying to hold on to win their third straight game. You'd think it would take a hardworking play from the visiting team to tie it up, right? Wrong. It took eight seconds for the puck to go from behind the Blue Jackets goal in the to the back of the Avalanche's net. They dumped the puck along the boards, beat all five Colorado skaters in the neutral zone to the puck, some of which looked lackadaisical getting back. Voracek threw the puck at the net from the end boards, and Sillinger scored the easiest goal he may have all season. So if you remember that play, that's the one where Voracek had the puck at the end boards, and he kind of just shot it at the net. But in order for Voracek to get the puck, so the Blue Jackets defenseman had it behind the net. They were going for a line change. He rung the puck around the boards to the other side, to the right of Johansson. That player pushed it to the to the left of Johansson where Voracek threw it at the night and Sillinger scored. From behind the net to behind the goal, behind Johansson, behind the goalie, I should say, was eight seconds. They managed to get the puck just by ringing it up the boards and hustling past all five avalanche skaters in the neutral zone. Mind you... The Avalanche had just made a line change too. They weren't tired. So it was a very lackadaisical play, very lazy from the Avalanche. They they got outworked and they tried to cheat on the play and they failed. Then, if you remember, Sillinger got another goal shortly after and made it three to two. Now this one, uh, Logan O'Connor had the puck, and I'm not reading off Dean's list for this one. Logan O'Connor had the puck behind Corpusalo in, in the back corner of the Blue Jacket zone. And he lost the puck to... Uh, Cole Sillinger. Sillinger, from the moment he took the puck away from Logan O'Connor, 200 feet away from Jonas Johansson's goal to the back end of the net was once again, eight seconds. He moved the puck to a teammate. He skated toward the net. He got the puck back. He scored again. If Logan O'Connor is out in the corner and he got beat for the puck, there's four other guys in the neutral zone. Nobody stopped Cole Sillinger. Nobody stopped the Blue Jackets. Again, lazy play. The one in overtime, we all saw it. The Blue Jackets controlled the entire play. You know, they skated in circles until the Avalanche got exhausted. And then Jake Bean had an open look at Johansson and scored. But the one that bothers me, I would say just as much as those two, and this is the last one we'll go over, is the 4-2 goal when Boone Jenner made it 4-2. Landeskog had the puck at center ice, and he was looking to dump the puck into the Blue Jackets zone so he can go for a line change. The Blue Jackets took it away from him. And 
from the moment they took the puck away from Landis Gog to the back of the net was six seconds. Again, just really, really quick. Eight seconds, eight seconds, six seconds. This was from center right, so it's a little bit closer to Johansson. But the part that was more concerning was that Jenner went in on his off wing. He got a shot on Johansson. Johansson made the save. But Landeskog was behind the net skating. You know, that whole uh, controller is unplugged, just kind of floating. Landeskog was doing that from behind. The player that Jenner was challenging one-on-one to get the original shot on Johansson was Bowen Byram. He got the shot. He outmuscled Byram easily for the rebound and scored on the rebound. So Landeskog and Byram were both to were both at fault there. It was Jenner versus two guys and the goalie, and he got two shots on. So just very lazy plays, and you can you can start to see when you look at the replays of all five goals why every single one of them was a preventable goal. And you can argue that every goal in the NHL is preventable. Something led to every single one, but not a single one of those plays where you like, yeah, we'll we'll give the Jackets that one. There were five plays that if the Avalanche were just better on one of them, they come away with two points. I mean, that's the NHL, right? And, and that's, what's, that's what's wild about it is that you're breaking it down to eight seconds, seven seconds, six seconds. You know, it's not like the Av- Avalanche aren't a hardworking team because they are, I would say so. But you have a small little snippet where you forget to go 110%, and in the NHL, you're going to pay for it. So, uh, you know, that's why you have 20 guys on the bench. You got to get those line changes going and keep fresh guys on the ice and make sure that everybody's not only willing to work hard, but able to physically, right? So it's kind of a stupid problem to have as a professional, but it's also such a quick, quick error that gets taken advantage of that, you know, it just happens so fast. But they got to just find a way to fine tune that because, yeah, like you're saying, it's all hardworking errors. And we broke it down last week um, when we talked about the Darcy Kemper goals. Maybe that was two weeks ago by now. Um, And that was an issue I pointed out, right? A lot of goals happening on the rush. A lot of goals within seconds of them crossing the blue line. They're they're getting to the back of the net. So obviously there's an issue from the time they're entering the zone till till they get to the net. They got to create a little bit more chaos there, you know, get some active sticks, get a little bit closer, close that gap up a little bit and prevent the guys from just simply walking in and and being able to unleash a hard wrist shot. Because you look back at that... um, Logan O'Connor goal, right? And it was a hell of a wrister, just a beautiful shot. But if you watch it in slow motion, he wasn't so comfortable shooting that. He just had, he just knew he only had a little window of time to get that puck off. And so he shot it kind of awkwardly and it was a beautiful, he fired it beautifully. But um, the Avs aren't getting those kind of looks, but the opponents are, right? The opponents are coming in and getting to take a full on wrister and a beautiful snapshot. Whereas, you know, you're seeing Logan O'Connor have to adjust. So something's got to happen there between the blue lines and the top of the circles and, and a little bit more aggressiveness. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the, the, the big issue with yesterday's game. Uh, the funny thing is, I know you said there was 20 guys on the bench, but there wasn't because Martin Kaut got injured. The avalanche lost another guy and uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's just, it's just when it rains, it pours baby. But, um, it's like Seattle in this franchise lately, though. <laughs> but yeah, like it's just it's one of those things where it does start to get frustrating and especially does for these guys because, you know, I think we talked about Eric Johnson last week, how he said that there's calls that the goalie has to get used to on a new team. And that's why Darcy Kemper's kind of, you know, struggled out of the gate a little bit. He's gotten better now is because. You have to learn how to communicate with your defense. That's something new that you're not used to because it's new defensemen, it's new guys, it's a new team and a new system. So 
even among teammates, even among players on the ice, again, these are professional athletes, but when you go into a game every single day and you're playing with different guys, some of which weren't on the team last year, some of which are rookies, some of which have spent a lot of time in the AHL, you start to lose a lot of that communication that you're used to. I mean, Nazem Kadri, like he said today, he said, I, I feel like I've been playing with a different guy every shift. Like it's not even one game at a time. It's one shift, one period. It's a different person for him every single time. And, you know, not that he's complaining. He's got nine points in nine games. He's, he's doing something right. But mm -hmm. uh, when I asked him about that, like just the frustration of always having these injuries, does that frustrate you? He said, no doubt. Absolutely. He wasn't going to shy away from it. Bednar gave the diplomatic coaching answer of I focus on the 20 guys on the ice. Kadri's like, yeah, it would have been nice to have, you know, Burakovsky and Nachushkin and some talent back in the lineup. Rather, he's playing with Kaut and Ranta and, and, and Sherwood and guys, you know, obviously O'Connor was playing on that line as well. Just he's playing with a different person every day. And I think the Avalanche just, you know, you have a lot of guys on the ice not playing with players that they're used to, and 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 there was some issues there with communication. There were some issues there with somebody thinking the other person would cover. Uh, it's not an excuse. It's on you to communicate, but it, it just gets frustrating when you're missing a guy almost every game, and, and then in the game you lose another guy, and then you have 19 skaters, and then you just sort of the bench gets shortened, and McDermott's in the lineup, and he never plays more than seven minutes, deservedly so. So suddenly, you know, the rest of the defensemen are playing more minutes and it just, it starts to take a toll on you. We're only nine games in the year, but man, it's, you can already sense the frustration of these guys having to play with different line mates, different teammates and playing more minutes than they probably should. And we're not even a month in. It's, it's really fascinating, this injury issue that the Avs have. While we're on that topic of the shuffled lines and Logan O'Connor and Nazem Kadri, I really enjoyed the couple times we got to see the 25 91 92 line you know we'd been talking about it for a while and we'd been waiting to see it but of course injuries and covid or what whatever it is uh it kept changing the plans but we finally got to see them and i thought they were fantastic together i'm excited to see a whole lineup and see if they those three get a go together because it's exactly kind of what we expected right a little bit of fire in them and i think they had a good understanding for each other yeah they all play a very similar game they all have that physical edge and tenacity to them and it's really fun to watch them together and it's it's something that the team you know needs a little bit of is is that energy and fire in every single shift that you take and then you know when they go out there and and physically dominate a team and exhaust you well then Rantanen, McKinnon and Burakovsky jump over the boards and those are three of the more skilled guys on the team obviously Burakovsky not to the caliber of, of Rantanen and McKinnon but man that guy's got a shot. He doesn't score an ugly goal. Every single one of his goals is a beauty of a shot. You want to see more of it because he's kind of slowed down this year and, and late last year. But, you know, it, it starts to give you options. You have the pesky guys like Landeskog, Kadri, and O'Connor. And that's not to say they're not skilled either. But then you have the skilled guys come out and just finish up and score a goal. And, oh, if that is not working, then you bring out JT Comfer and Tyson Jost. And Comfer has got a point per game. And you bring out whatever other depth guys you have after that. So you really are able to roll a little bit better of a lineup just by the addition of one or two guys. Last thing I want to get to uh, from that Columbus Blue Jackets loss is how about the electricity the Avalanche play with with an empty net, right? I mean, you can even pinpoint Bo and Byram. I mean, look at how involved he was there in both of those goals that they scored at the end of the game there to come back and tie it. But A, what, what the heck is with that little bit of extra spark and jump that they have at the end of games with an empty net? And B, Hell right, Byram, for taking over and being a staple now, right? And now in McCarr's yes. absence, he had to step in. And, man, 
that's going to be what we see going on a lot in the future. Yeah. So here's, here's the thing. So if I, if my math is correct and I'll have to go back and look it over, the avalanche have had seven goals go in while their goalie was pulled five of them for them, five for them and two for the opposition. That includes the blues game. That doesn't even include the fact that Tyson Jost had a goal called back against the blues, that kicking motion goal. Otherwise it would have been six to one, but instead that one was called back and then O'Reilly scored an empty netter instead. So they have some energy to them. Like yesterday, you kind of expected it. After that four to three goal, you're like, yeah, the Avalanche are going to do this. And the Blue Jackets kept icing it over and over and over. And what was even more surprising than the Blue Jackets icing it was every time they did, the Avalanche won another clean faceoff. You never see that. Every time the Blue Jackets would take a shot at the empty net, you're like, oh man, now the Avs have to win another faceoff. Boom, clean faceoff. Back to Byram. Byram and McKinnon are going back and forth at the points. Like it was, it was just exceptional it was masterful play on the six on five whatever they're doing there they got to start doing it on the power play but that's a fun new storyline though i mean like yeah I was no saying, it's we're used to talking about the same things over and over that's a new one yeah five goals Abs- dude they've scored up on the face-off yeah the cleaning up on the face-offs and cleaning up on the face-offs when it matters late in the game where you know if you lose a face-off it's going in the back of your net they've scored five times with their goalie pulled we're nine games in number one you shouldn't have to have your goalie pulled that many times in nine games. But number two, that's pretty damn impressive. Even though, you know, you haven't won any of these games, the fact that you're making them a game, getting them to overtime for this game and actually getting a point out of it is impressive. So it's really, really great to see them kind of really tightening down and 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 uh, and getting that offense going late in the game. In regards to Bowen Byram, he's he's absolutely amazing like going into this season he to me was kind of like an alex newhook wild card maybe he'll do well maybe he won't he's not Mm -hmm. only doing well he's doing exceptionally well Mm -hmm. he didn't have a perfect game yesterday but he had a hell of a game he scored two goals he had another assist and um he's slowly but surely phasing out eric johnson from the top four when they're healthy which is exactly what you want because you don't want Johnson playing 20, 21 minutes anymore. You want him playing the 15, 16. He's been playing when the Avalanche have six healthy defensemen. So shout out to Bowen Byron, man. He looks unreal right now. I mean, that one point, right, that they ended up earning, I think you can owe it 100% to Bowen Byram. So later on down the season when the Avalanche are one point ahead of somebody, let's remember this moment and think about how clutch Bowen Byram was and how he he really led the uh, charge there. Yeah, he scored a goal early, and then they got the goalie pulled. He fired the shot right away, and JT Comfort tipped it. I didn't know if anybody had touched it. There was a lot of bodies in front, and then he fired the puck again. The game-tying goal was just a laser, like just an absolute bomb. The energy, the electricity of the arena, his celebration, everything about it was just beautiful. Had JT Comfort not touched the other puck, he would have had a hat trick. Like He played his ass off offensively, just a lot of confidence on that kid. Yeah, and that's another thing to point out is the JT Comfort tip, right? It kind of seems like he's taken over and taken the reins from Gabe Landeskog as being the best uh, tipper out of midair. So maybe you throw him in front of the net on the on the power play from now on. Yeah, five goals, four assists, nine points in nine games. It took him, I think, 20-something games last year to get to nine points. He's done it in nine games this year. Like he's he's been unreal, and, and it's that's why he's on that top power play unit, and uh, that's why... I will say the reason why we're not going to do 20 minutes on the power play and its struggles again is because Jared Bednar did make a good point today. The Avalanche haven't had a single game with their top unit together. Not one. 
McKinnon, Landeskog, Ranton, and Makar Comfer. That's it. Just those five guys. They haven't had a game with all five of them. First was McKinnon out. Then it was Landeskog suspension. Then Ranton in. Then he comes back. Then he's out. Then Makar's out. Comfer's the only one standing. So it's kind of like the top six, how we sort of cycled every single one of them has, has gotten hurt at one point or missed games at one point, except for Kadri. It's the same thing with that top power play unit. Comfer's the only one that hasn't missed time. So we're not going to do 20 minutes on the power play because of that. But yeah, JT Comfer, the way he started the season, absolutely he deserves to be on that unit. And I think when they are a full unit and they're all firing on all cylinders, you're going to see him score a hell of a lot more goals right there in garbage time. Yeah, as and they're still right around 500, right? I mean, depending on how you look at it. So as long as they don't stray too far until they get that full lineup back, then that they're kind of right where they need to be. So Exactly. Know, while it was an ugly loss, it's not exactly a one that makes me mad. And you've heard me mad on here before, right? There's yeah. times where I'm riding the waves. I don't think this is one that needs any wave riding. But I mean, it is what it is. You you beat the Blue Jackets on Saturday, and I know that's a, you know that's an if. You know, no game is guaranteed in this league. You win that game, you're five four and one, five four and one, knowing that. You've had different guys in the lineup every single game. Nazem Kadri has played with 29 different skaters, it seems like. First, he started on the top line and then the second line, and then he was playing with like AHLers. And it's just, it's been a whole mess. And to come out of that 5 4 and 1 is a pretty good stretch because there's going to be many times in a season where you go on a 5 4 and 1 run, and sometimes with a fully healthy lineup. So this is the Avalanche doing it, knowing that Darcy Kemper had to play eight of 10 games and the other two games were Jonas Johansson, not even their real backup in Pavel Francouz because he's not even back yet. Nichushkin hasn't played since opening night. Makar has been in and out of the lineup after missing training camp and preseason. Landis Gog had a two-game suspension. McKinnon started the year on COVID. It's just been Taves hasn't touched the ice yet. It's just been a headache every single night. And to come out 5-4-1 and one would be pretty damn good. Yep, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. Let's take a quick break, guys. Talk about DraftKings Sportsbook. If you haven't downloaded it, you are blowing it. But if you haven't, there's good news for you, especially if you're an NFL fan and you're hungry for a big win this week because DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken parm dinner. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple get bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. It's so simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS to bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win 2 Hundred dollars in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be twenty-one or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred five two two forty seven hundred. So, in lieu of the preventable goals and the, uh, I guess, brain farts you can call them, and little snippets of of lacking of effort, the. Avalanche had a player meeting today. I guess what kind of details were you able to scoop out of that from uh, attending practice this morning? So Jared was very open that before they took the ice, they had a meeting about, you know, again, not the fact that they lost, but the way it happened, the way the goals happened, the the laziness and what he called cheating on the play many, many times. Um, you know, I, I, I respect Terry Fry for following up with, uh, what did you guys say in the meeting? Obviously knowing that Bedner's ever going to share those details, which he didn't. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I respect the opportunity to try. But, um, 
you know, that's that's basically what happened. Uh, then the Avalanche took the ice, and it was kind of like one after the other, new player, new player, new player, kind of reinserted into the lineup because first you saw Rantanen come out, then you saw Burakovsky, and then you saw Taves, and you're like, all right, so Taves has been skating. Is he going to stick around? And he did. And then Rantanen and Burakovsky, are they actually going to take shifts with like real line mates? Or are they going to play with like McDonald and, and McDermott to kind of say like they're just here just to get a skate in? But no. The top line was together. It was Ranton and Landeskog and McKinnon. The second line was Kadri, Burakovsky, and O'Connor. The third line had, and this is one that I actually like, Kiefer Sherwood with Comfer and Jost. And then the fourth line was the others, Helm. Uh, and I'm already forgetting who else, Megna and uh, Sampo Ranta. There we go. So those are the, less, the, 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 the fourth line. That's the fill in the blank with whoever's less, left in the lineup. Um, so... It was really nice to see that. It was nice to see that they had a meeting. It was nice to see these guys come back. Bednar wouldn't confirm 100% that they're going to play. But the fact that they took shifts with those guys, they took power play shifts. Devon Taves and Sam Gerard were running the second power play unit together with Burakovsky, Kadri, and Sherwood. It says to me that the Avalanche are ready to uh, have all three of these guys play. Bednar said, depending on how they wake up and how they feel Friday, but they'll be fine. The Avalanche aren't having a real practice, so there's going to be no media availability tomorrow. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it'll probably already be Friday. No media availability, no practice, but they're going to skate before they get the, get on that flight to Columbus. So, you know, unless they tweet out pictures, which I'm sure they will, there's no way of knowing who's going on that flight. Uh, but I would assume, unless something goes terribly wrong, that all of Taves, Burakovsky, and Rantanen are going to play. And this comes after a meeting that the team had about the way they played against Columbus on, on Wednesday, which says to me that they're going to rebound in a big way. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about it, right? Getting Miko Rantanen back out there and getting some of his antics going and the power plays and the drop in the knee. Um, but I think the the real biggest question mark still is Andre Burakovsky, right? You look at that second line, you think O'Connor, Kadri, Burakovsky. I'm not sure how to feel about it yet, and mainly because of the play of Andre Burakovsky so far. So if he can get his stuff in order and uh, you know, kind of be the Andre Burakovsky we expect him to be, I I love that line and I expect it to do good things but until we see Burakovsky you know shine I don't know if you want to take him too far away from McKinnon and I, again I like the uh, Logan O'Connor Kadri Landeskog line so we'll see how that gets mixed and matched because you know Jared Bednar loves to blend it up at the the first second of any uncertainty so um, but yeah I guess Burakovsky's still that wild card hopefully he's rebounded and, and healing up well. Yeah, so him and Kadri were both wild cards for me heading into this season, and Kadri has already bounced back in a big way. So once Berkey can do the same thing and once Nichushkin is healthy, I mean, Val played fine opening night. He had an assist. He did everything he needed to do. He almost scored a goal. I think he had a breakaway at one point, uh, if I remember correctly, and then he got injured right away week to week, which for the Avalanche means he's not going to be healthy till 2046. So it's just nice to see, and obviously it was a joke, but it's just nice to see that... Um, uh, that that Kadri has bounced back, that Nichushkin has played well. If Burakovsky can pick up his game, and obviously Logan O'Connor is filling in right now for Nichushkin, but if Burakovsky can pick up his game and start to score those Berkey goals that we were seeing pre-COVID and even post-COVID in the playoffs in the bubble, then man, you're going to start to suddenly have all these weapons that you didn't have for the first 10 games or nine games of the year where you went 4-4-1 because you were missing guys like him. 100% how I feel about uh, Devon Taves coming back in the lineup, right? I think he's really going to energize and light a spark back in the to the depth chart because 
I, he, he feels like a guy that we've kind of forgotten what he can do, right? So when he steps back out there and does a couple of things he does, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, this defense is amazing, and I forgot about that, mainly because of the things Devon Taves brings to the table. So Devon Taves is the one that ties this entire defense together. Yep, agreed. Kale McCarr is your high-paid all-star future Norris Trophy winner, but he needs a Devon Taves. Eric Carlson was at his best in Ottawa when he had Mark Mathot playing with him. And then as soon as Mark Mathot got taken by the Vegas Golden Knights in the expansion draft, you saw Carlson slowly kind of start to unravel a little bit. And then he went to San Jose and they put him with guys like Brent Burns and Vlasic that can do the exact same thing that Mathot was doing for him then. For Kale to have somebody like Taves is massive. For the Avalanche to have that kind of guy, it's why you see Gerard playing with Eric Johnson, you know, for all those years. He is the one that ties it all together. So I'm really excited for him. I think Taves is going to be a bigger impact than a lot of people expected. He really truly is that that piece that the Avalanche have been missing on the defense to just sort of calm everything down, stop the breakdowns. I mean, we're talking about Bowen Byram. He had an excellent game yesterday. He scored two goals, had an assist, confident as all hell, number one power play quarterback, six on five quarterback at the end of the game. But we still had to talk about a game where he made a bad defensive effort and it led to a Blue Jackets goal. Devon Taves is going to clean a lot of that up, and I'm really excited to see him get back in. Yeah, exactly. You look at the three leaders of the defense so far, and it's basically been Gerard, Makar, and Byram, right? And right there, I mean, A, that's a young group, and B, you know, Gerard has, makes his mistakes, sometimes gets tossed around. Makar has been probably pretty injured, just hasn't been himself. And Byram is still learning. I mean, he's been amazing, but he's still got a lot to, to grow and, and learn in the league. So throwing Devon Taves into that mix is just going to be, I mean, huge, huge. I'm super excited to see Devon Taves back. Yeah, same here. And I, I, again, I think no matter where you stick him, if whether you want to keep Byram with Gerard or put Byram with Taves or put Gerard with Taves to kind of, you know, slowly wake Gerard up from, you know, the, the season he's had so far, no matter which way you shake it, it's going to help them immensely. And it's also going to bring McDermott out of the lineup. It's going to make Jack Johnson and Ryan Murray your third pair. And that's all without Kale McCarr coming back. Once Kale McCarr comes back and you have to sit one of Jack Johnson or Ryan Murray, there's suddenly that defensive depth that you wanted in the offseason. So, you know, Taves is that last piece that hasn't played yet. And uh, we're about to see just how important he is to this team. Absolutely. It's going to be great to see. Old number seven, just like uh, John Elway, right? The, it's a historic number here in this city. Chauncey Billups wore it. Devon Taves. Devon the, Taves. There's all, the hockey version. They're, they're all going to end up on a Mount Rushmore. John Elway. Chauncey Billups, Devon Taves. I'm trying to think of another number seven that played for the Yavs, and I can't think of one off the top of my head. Uh, I'm sure you're you're gonna ha- think of one right when we end, and you're gonna kick yourself. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd, and I kind of feel like Curtis Lecision wore seven, but I don't know that for sure. But let's let's move on and not bore people with this. I think you're right there. I think you're right. But <laughs> yeah, let's take a quick second. Uh, to talk about our friends over at Total Beverage, of course, they've got two locations there, one in Westminster and one in Thornton, but everybody knew that, right? Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Did you also know they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? 
I did. You knew that, right? I know you did, Arif. I'm just making sure all our listeners do. And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. So Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Check them out, visit them. And yeah, we got confirmation. Curtis Lecision did wear number seven. I'm over here just researching it while you were doing your ad read. And uh, I, I don't know why I remembered that. But yeah, Curtis Lecision did wear number seven, both for the Nordiques and the Avalanche. Glad we figured that out. Devon Taves is definitely the best number seven in Avalanche history, as long as there's someone else I'm forgetting. But good, we can move on from that. <laughs> I'm sorry I did that to us. What about the Rockies? Who's the greatest Rocky to ever wear number oh, seven? Oh, you lose me at baseball. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not big on there. I, I don't know. I have no idea either. Um, but yeah, let's move on here. And moving on from the Colorado Avalanche, let's look around the rest of the NHL, especially because there was some big news we'll get to at the end here. But starting with the whole Blackhawks uh, scandal, of course, I think now that Gary Bettman spoke, I think we've heard from everybody that we need to hear from. And I guess what's your assessment of the whole ordeal now that we've heard everybody uh, come public? For the first time ever in the history of anything I've ever done publicly, I'm going to bash Gary Bettman because that press conference on Monday, and the only reason why we're talking about this is because Bettman had that press conference on Monday and it was about the worst way to handle that situation ever. He started off for the first seven or eight minutes of completely, you know, of, of giving his heartfelt message and actually showing a little bit of emotion, not being the robotic lawyer he is 99.9% of the time. And then he went right into lawyer mode. There was no empathy, um, which is a little bit mind boggling. I heard this on a different podcast today. And I think, you know, I usually have my own opinions, but this one really, really got me thinking is when you're a lawyer, the purpose of your job is to connect emotionally with the jury to not only present the facts robotically, but to also have that emotion and empathy and connection where the jury could really believe like, yeah, this guy is telling the truth and what he says matters. And I think that's something that Gary Bettman lost along the way because you can't just come out and you know provide the facts. And like, for example, somebody asked him about the fact that he fined the Blue Jack, he fined the Blackhawks $2 million, but the Arizona Coyotes for you know, bringing in a couple of prospects to do some push-ups, and the New Jersey Devils for circumventing the cap with the Kovalchuk contract, both got fined more than that. And the only answer he had was different facts, different, I think, outcome or, or, or different facts, different uh, scenarios or something like that. Like it was very just brushing it aside. When somebody asked him about Joel Quinville coaching that one Wednesday for the Panthers when everything was going on after Kyle Beach spoke publicly, um, for whatever reason, he felt the need to plug Joel Quinville has won so-and-so amount of games, 800 and something games. Since 2010. Yeah, like since 2010, Quinville has won 800. Well, so freaking what? Like, what does that matter? Mm-hmm. And like, it's just everything about it was just, it was, it was so, it lacked empathy. It lacked human. Yes, 100%. That's, that's what rubbed me the wrong way about it too. I mean, I think he did fine throughout his version of the speech, right? But then once they opened up to questions, that's where I really think he blew it. He went defensive He was right so away. defensive and he just stuck to his lawyer personality and just completely forgetting that there's a freaking human on the other end of this that you're discussing and human emotions involved. And he's just short and concise and very lawyer 
uh, yeah, it was just it was hard to watch and and infuriating, and just I can't I can't believe that he handled it that way. And who is the person on TSN that Kyle Beach spoke with? Rick Westhead, and he got boxed out. He got boxed out. So the fact, okay, so for those that didn't catch it, it was a forty-five minute long, or sorry, like fifty-one minute long. I want to say press conference. Rick Westhead, along with Katie Strang, but mostly Rick Westhead spearheaded this entire thing and we talked about it three weeks ago or two weeks ago he wouldn't let the story die as much as the nhl wanted to avoid it as much as the blackhawks wanted to deny the allegations rick westhead didn't let the story die he was the man behind this entire story they jumped onto zoom they started asking gary bettman questions rick was on the call the entire time rick had the hand raising feature on the entire time and they did not call on him until 41 minutes in. They, some journalists got second time, like second calls. And if you remember the Zoom calls last year, they don't give anybody a second question until they've gone through everybody that raises their hands. They completely boxed him out until Pierre Lebrun, who, you know, if there's a head of the table in NHL media right now, it's Pierre Lebrun. Ever since Bob McKenzie kind of went into semi-retirement, it's Pierre. And Pierre had to come on and say, hey, gentlemen, before I ask my question, I just wanted to say, I hope my colleague Rick Westhead gets a chance to also ask a question. So he called them out for it. And it still took five minutes before they went back to Rick Westhead, before they finally went to him. And Rick handled it like a pro. Hey, gentlemen, if you, if you, do, if you, do, if you so do allow, I would like to ask a question and a follow-up. And he asked a question about, uh, you know, about the, the thing. And Gary Bettman gave a very robotic answer in regards to John Doe too, the, the minor league hockey player in Michigan that also had to, you know, deal with what he had to deal with with Brad Aldrich after the NHL and the Chicago Blackhawks kind of wrote him a nice reference letter to go on his merry way and continue his career. And Gary Bettman gave another robotic answer. Just everything about it was just done terribly to the point where Frank Cervalli and the PHWA, the Professional Hockey Writers Association, had to release a statement about how the NHL tried to box out Rick Westhead. It was just everything about it was a joke. It was terrible. It was about the worst possible way you can handle that situation. And up until today, I had never been one to bash Gary Bettman publicly because I think being a commissioner is a no-win situation. You're always going to lose. There's a ton of things that he does incorrectly. You know, aside from the big thing of continuing to deny that CTE and brain trauma and head injuries from, you know, playing hockey have any kind of a connection. So aside from any of that, there's still the idea that Gary Bettman just is, does a terrible job at where to put franchises and relocating franchises. He does a terrible job at uh, marketing the stars. He does a terrible job at marketing the game on an, on a global level. There's a lot of things he does incorrectly, but this one took the cake. It was just, it was terrible in every way. Yeah. He sucks officially, I think in my book. And, and I didn't really feel that strongly until he dropped the ball so hard on this one. I think he was fine. I mean, yeah, he does things wrong all the time and there's our beefs with him here and there, but none I don't think are this bad. And I think if you look back to the NBA, right, when David Stern was running things, they kind of had similar complaints back then. I mean, he was very square, very robotic. He wouldn't allow teams to wear anything but white or black socks and shoes. And funny enough, Gary Bettman actually, I think, learned under David Stern. So they have a lot of similarities there. And then once the uh, NBA switches to Adam Silver, suddenly that league seems like a lot of fun. And the players seem to be loving it a lot more, right? They get to do crazy things with their shoes and they get to, uh, you know, just have a little bit more personality. And I I think that's kind of what's desperately needed here from the NHL. I mean, that's not a new complaint, right? We've been hearing the personality and the vanilla complaint for ages and ages. Well, I think there's a big reason 
And one common denominator in all that, and that's that Gary Bettman's been the man at the helm for so long. He's been he's been there since '93, since the year I was friggin' born. But in hockey, we've beaten the personality out of our players and our stars so much to the point where the Toronto Maple Leafs finally relaxed their dress code. Not entirely like the NBA, but they went from business professional to business casual. (gasps) How dare you? (laughs) And Austin Matthews started to wear things that looked different to games. And the Leafs lost three straight games. And there was an article written and there were fans bitching and moaning that the Toronto Maple Leafs are more interested in wearing sweatpants to the game than actually playing the game. And I'm like, this is why our sport is not even a top four sport in the country. It's fifth behind the MLS. (laughs) This is why nobody talks about hockey. This is why Gary Bettman gets away with the things he does because we've beaten the personality out of everybody and everything to the point where Gary Bettman is the man for the job because that's what the people want for some reason. So just everything about this needs to change. It stems back to, you know, the Kyle Beach situation and why we're even talking about Gary Bettman right now. He completely dropped the ball in. Did you get a chance to catch the Winnipeg Jets press conference a couple days later with Kevin Shovel-Dayoff and Mark Shipman? I, I did. Okay, so the the Jets came out. They had the liberty. They they had the 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 ability to watch what the NHL did and say, we're going to fix everything that the NHL did wrong. So what did they do? Mark Chipman came out and gave a statement. It was the most powerful and heartfelt and, and empathetic statement. And then Kevin Shoveldayoff did the same thing. And then as soon as they started to take questions, they went to Rick Westhead of TSN right away. And they knew that he was going to try to hammer Shoveldayoff, and he did. And he, he, he really made him answer some tough questions. But they said, what did the NHL do wrong? What is it that people were outraged over? Let's fix it. And good old Canadian boy, Mark Chipman, came out and gave a beautiful speech in the beginning of that. And uh, that says all you need to know about the NHL, where even the owners are like, all right, so this is what the guy who runs us did wrong, and I'm going to fix it. Yep, yep, well said. I think it's time to move on and move away from that. Obviously, I don't think it's uh, something we're going to move on for as a society, a hockey society, right? I don't think that it's uh, news that's just going to go by the wayside, and especially as more things start to develop and and become public right so something we'll keep yeah. an eye on this is only this is only the beginning of, of the kyle beach uh right. fallout right i think i heard greg wasinski too on uh nhl network radio saying you know i i really hope this isn't just another story that people forget about right i mean it's kind of sad that it hasn't really gotten that much publicity in the news like the news news i think it has in canada because it's it's been treated as a news story where here in the u.s it's still just kind of a sports story and not that many people are paying attention to it you'd hate for people to forget about it kind of like they did with the whole hockey diversity alliance and and the the cultural movements from what two summers ago now yeah, not that long ago, but it's they've already moved on. But I think we should move on as well. And I'm going to do the transition here because I like this idea of transitioning it by saying, speaking of owners that really dropped the ball on something, let's talk about the Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> well, I think the the biggest thing we need to talk about was the Sportsnet report where Jack Eichel sat down with Elliot Friedman. And wow, must be nice being Elliot Friedman and getting an exclusive like that. But um, he really opened himself up. And part of that was him saying, Jack Eichel, that is saying that he was almost positive that the Avalanche had a deal done for him during the offseason. So as an Avalanche fan, how much did that sting to hear? It was very interesting to hear. Uh, I think that 
the avalanche were in in the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. I mean, this pretty much confirms it a hell of a lot more than any of us thought. Right. And what this says to me is Joe Sackick, we said it with the Seth Jones conversation, he goes big name hunting. He offered Panarin a four-year deal at over $12 million, which brought him right to the end of the McKinnon deal, which would have been this year and next year. He tried to go after Seth Jones for a one-year thing. He tried to go after Jack Eichel, knowing Eichel's got four more years on his contract after this year, if not five. Joe Sackick's going big name hunting. He keeps swinging and missing, but he's going big name hunting. And what that says to me, and we talked about this before, you got a lot of UFAs this summer. You got a lot of defensemen, and there's a conversation to be had about Sam Gerrard here in a second. If this Avalanche team doesn't win the cup, ooh, it's going to look different in six, seven, eight, nine months, whatever it is, the off season from now. I, I forget how long seasons are normally. I checked with my sources, and they wouldn't tell me mainly because I don't have any sources, but I'd love <laughs> to know what made the deal fall apart because it sounds like it was this close from happening and something at the very end, may, maybe, you know, whether it was Buffalo or Colorado, somebody backed out. So I'd love to know what that was, and maybe one day we will find out. Yeah, I think it has to do with the salary cap retention thing that we talked about. Remember when mm-hmm. Elliot Friedman casually dropped a month ago the avalanche were in until Buffalo said they're not going to you know, uh, retain any salary? I think that's what the difference was. The avalanche just couldn't find a way to make the $10 million work. I mean, there is ways to go through the cap gymnastics of making it work. It would have just cost way too much from their other players to be able to make it work. So uh, it is what it is. Probably when Joe Sackick was listening to our podcast that episode and when we said oh we heard that uh the avalanche have made a call on jack eichel he was sitting there shaking his head saying you idiots don't know the half of what we were talking about with jack eichel and now we know right i mean it's just crazy to think that the avalanche were indeed that close and i like your point they're going big name hunting doesn't always land them but the fact that they're in the mix and their names being thrown around and heavily considered i mean you'd love to to see one of these connect here soon yeah, for sure. And and uh, I'm going to actually mention something because you mentioned Elliot Friedman getting that one-on-one with Jack Eichel. Uh, kind of seemed like it was put together really quick eh, for him yeah. to get that sit down. So let me share with you a very interesting tweet from John Vogel, who, if anybody knows, is the guy that covers the Buffalo Sabres for The Athletic. Yesterday, he tweeted, November 3rd, I hear the Sabres are feeling added external pressure, not grievance related, to get a deal done today. And obviously grievance related would mean Jack Eichel filing a grievance against the Buffalo Sabres for the whole, you know, the the whole back and forth about him wanting to get the surgery he prefers and them, them not letting him do it. So then John Vogel comes out today. He quote tweets that tweet from yesterday and says, remember this, Jack Eichel, I've been told, was talking today either way. The conversation may have, okay, would have had even more juicy moments if the trade didn't happen. So what was that external pressure that the Sabres were feeling? It was Jack Eichel sitting on Sportsnet with Elliot Friedman and bashing the living crap out of the organization from ownership to management to their doctors to everybody all the way down, explaining how Jack Eichel is frustrated. So that was that added external pressure. That makes the, a lot of sense because I remember at one point he even answered and answer, uh, one of his responses was, if the trade didn't happen, this conversation would be a lot different or the answer to that question would be a lot different, but I'd rather not it answer just, it yeah, now. Yeah, it was crazy because in, you know, in mountain time, this trade broke at like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, which is, you know, 6.30, 7 a.m. Eastern time. 
And by the time it's noon, 1230, I'm sitting in the media room. We're getting ready for Bednar to talk post-practice, five, six hours. And Elliot Friedman and Jack Eichel are sitting in the same room together. And I'm just like, Eichel's in America and Elliot Friedman's in Canada. And I think to cross the border, you have to have like a negative test or you, there's, you know, there's a lot of gymnastics to getting there. How did they get these two in the room at the same time? And it's because this was going to happen regardless. And that was that added external pressure. And what did they end up getting for him? Um, Not a lot. I mean, Alex Tuck is a great player and Peyton Krebs is a great prospect. And then a first and a second, which ultimately is a swap because they gave away their third. So, you know, a, a high third rounder of Buffalo is going to Vegas and a low second rounder is coming back to Buffalo. So it's ultimately just moving up 10, 15, 20 spots in the draft. But the biggest takeaway that I have from this trade is... Jack Eichel's value is at an all-time low. It, that's just the way it is. He's not going to be healthy for three, four, five, maybe even six months. He hasn't played in, you know, by the time he's healthy, it'll be a, been a year. And with all of this going on and the fact that this is a surgery that no NHL player has ever done before, his value is at an all-time low. And I need people to remember that because in about a year or two years, if and when Fingers crossed that it does go well, even if you're not a Golden Knights fan. Fingers crossed it does go well because I want Jack Eichel to have a long, successful career. If and when Eichel is healthy again and putting up 105, 110 points, playing with Stone and Pacioretty, for example, you people are going to look back and be like, wow, they completely destroyed Buffalo with that trade. But the fact of the matter is, it's not about what he's worth when he's at his best. It's about what his value is now. And right now his value is at an all-time low. I, I applaud the Golden Knights for finding a way to make a trade based off of what his value is right now. It's uh, pretty appropriate, but it feels like the Vegas Golden Knights really pushed their chips all in, right? I mean, they <laughs> got rid of their four draft picks over the last four years and um, are acquiring people that can help first them rounders. win now. What did I say? That's what I meant, right? Yeah, yeah. Four, four first rounders. Yeah. You just said draft picks. Okay, yeah. yeah. Four first round, rounders. But yeah, they're going all in and they're they're trying to win right now. So, um, you know, hopefully Eichel doesn't have too much success in the Avs. Let's see what happens. Maybe some Western Conference playoffs down the line. But, um, you know, it, it's scary to see teams around the West get better while the Avalanche keep missing out. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, but let's have that Sam Gerrard conversation because this is a conversation that I wanted to have regardless, but I couldn't think of a name to have it centered around until that trade happened yesterday. And this is basically what I'm getting to. With the emergence of Sam Gerrard, the other guy, Bowen Byram, with the emergence of Bowen, but take two, with the emergence of Bowen Byram, and you still have Kale McCarr, and you got Devon Taves, and you got Eric Johnson, you got Jack Johnson, and you got Ryan Murray, and knowing going into the next upcoming seasons, obviously Jack's a UFA, Ryan's a UFA, uh, Eric Johnson's one more season away from being a UFA. You have Justin Barron coming up, especially most importantly, because of that emergence of Byram right freaking now, Sam Gerrard has to be the guy you trade for added forward depth. And by added forward depth, I mean a good top six forward, a good top six winger. So there is a name out there. And do you know where I'm going with this? No, no, I'm just, I'm laughing because You've you've hammered that one into our skulls. We, we know you want to get Sam Gerrard out of town. Poor guy. I mean, and, until he has a game where he pops off five goals, and then you're going to say, "Oh man, everything I no, said no, was no, wrong." No, no, no. no, but that's the well, thing about Sam Gerrard is we've seen his ceiling. I don't think we're going to suddenly see a version of Sam Gerrard that we haven't known already. No, no, no. Even if Sam Gerrard gets better, it goes to the fact you know. Let's let's go through it again. 
You got Kale McCarr. You got Bo Byram. You got Sam Gerrard. You're not trading Devon Taves. He plays an entirely different game. So you got those three guys and you have Justin Barron coming in on an ELC. You can't afford to have so many defensemen making four, five, six million because Taves already makes four, one. Gerard makes five. McCarr now makes nine. Bowen Byram after next season needs a new contract, which is the same summer that McKinnon needs a new contract. You can't have a guy on the third pair like Byram or Gerard or Taves making four, five, six, right? So who are you going to trade? Are you going to trade Kale McCarr? Absolutely not. Okay. Are you going to trade Bowen Byram? No, there's no way. Who does that leave? No, I'm with you. It's a I numbers it. game. It's yeah. a numbers game. I'm not, I'm not, I am not a Sam Gerrard hater. I wrote an article last season about seven months ago about how Sam Gerrard should be in the running for the Norris Trophy and Team Canada. I am not a Sam Gerrard hater. But if there's a guy you got to trade from that list, it's Sam. It's kind of like the Maple Leafs. When the Maple Leafs look at their roster, you know, they have three guys making 11 million. Who are you going to trade? One of the best goal scorers of his generation, Austin Matthews? No. Your team captain and John Tavares? No. So who does that leave? Mitch Marner. If you have to trade one of the 11 million guys, as good as Mitch Marner is, that's the guy. So let me go back to the Sam Gerrard conversation. If you have a chance to upgrade your top six, Sam Gerrard's got all the value of the world because he's an excellent defenseman. He makes $5 million a year for the next five years after this one. So he's under contract long-term and he can play 25 minutes a night. So that's the kind of guy that you want to trade to bring in forward depth. Well, who's the guy that Buffalo just acquired that's under contract for four more years, making 4.75, and he's a big, rugged winger that shits on the avalanche every time they play each other? Who'd they just acquire? Alex Tuck. Alex Tuck. That dude is going to be unhealthy. He's going to be on the injured list until January. As soon as he's healthy, let him play a couple games because like he tweeted today, he's from upstate New York. He grew up a big Buffalo Sabres fan and it'll be a dream come true for him to wear that jersey. Let him shake off all of the emotions and, and romanticize the idea of playing for his hometown team for about a week or two. Make sure he's good to go, scoring a couple goals, laying out a couple big hits. And then call up the Sabres and say, we'll give you a defenseman that can play with Rasmus Dahlin for the next decade. For that winger, who says no? I don't know. I'm not sure I love Alex Tuck that much to make that trade. I'm sure there's probably some better forwards that are going to be hitting the uh, the market at that time. But making $4.75 million for the next four seasons after this one at 25 years old? I mean, we'll see, I guess. We'll see. Again, that's the thing. Like, you can always go out and trade for Philip Forsberg. I almost said Peter. You can always go out and trade for Philip Forsberg, but you're not going to trade a guy like Sam Gerard who's under contract for the next six seasons for a UFA rental. What gives a player more value is the contract he's under. And to have this guy locked up at that price would be pretty damn good. So, like, that's an example. And, you know, maybe there's more examples out there. I haven't really done much research. I was thinking about this last night. Who's a guy that the Avalanche could trade Gerard for? that could step in and help their offense. And, you know, I, I didn't even think of Tuck because I'm not going to think of a guy on the Golden Knights because I don't think they would trade with the Avalanche. But then as soon as the trade happened, I was like, this is the guy. So obviously there's more research to be done. But, you know, that's the Sam Gerrard conversation that we needed to have because with Bowen Byram emerging a hell of a lot quicker, it makes Sam Gerrard... The, you know, he's not expendable. It's great to have a very, very loaded defensive team. But when Logan O'Connor is playing on your second line and you always have an injury, so it's not like you're ever going to have your top six healthy and you need help, 
You're not going to trade Jonas Johansson for help. You're not going to trade Jack Johnson for help. You need to trade somebody of value to get value. I don't think you want to trade Alex Newhook right now unless you're getting a guy like Jack Eichel. So the only way to get that second line depth to me is Sam Gerrard. And it just seems like a perfect fit. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the uh, hires up agree with you, right? I mean, I think if you just take a step back, I think that's the only assessment you can really make if you want to get some value back. And that's ne- that's going to be the necessary part. They got to get somebody who's going to come in and make an impact. Can't just be a third line, fourth line guy. So you got to give up somebody who's going to make an impact wherever they go. So I'm with it, but I just I still think you're a Sam Gerard hater. I'm not a Sam Gerard hater. No, 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 no. We talked a little bit about the hits he's been taking all season, but by all means, again, look up Arif Dean, Samuel Gerard, and read the story I wrote on him last year. I don't think I've stroked anybody off that hard ever writing a story <laughs> about them. Like he is an exceptional player. I love the relationship he has with Eric Johnson. I love the excitement of his game. Obviously, he's he's started off slow this year. Like, let's not sugarcoat it. He's got two assists in seven games and he's a minus five. But I'm not a sky is falling kind of guy. The Avalanche are 4-4-1. People are freaking out on me because on Twitter because how dare they lose this game or lose that game. And people were questioning, why is Johansson started? And people were questioning, why is this guy playing? And why is that guy playing? And how can they not win these games? And I'm like, we're nine games into a marathon. I am not a sky's falling kind of guy. I'm not a five bad games means go fuck yourself, Sam Gerrard. But I'm just a realist. And the reality is the Avalanche are lacking a second line scorer that they could acquire if they were to trade him. Some people get really upset about early season losses. Other people get upset about bad haircuts. You know, it's just about who you are as a person. I look like Peyton Manning, dude, (laughs) except I'm not a millionaire. (sighs) All right. Well, I think that's a great place to stop. You know, this was supposed to be a midweek quick hit whippersnapper podcast, but I guess we got a a whole hour on our hands. So I hope everybody out there enjoys. I hope they're listening on the, the fine Friday morning because why would you wait any longer? I don't understand when people listen to podcasts after the fact, but yeah, go ahead. So I do want to end with one more thing. uh, And I was saving this for the end of the episode. JJ, we have been doing this for how long now? I don't even know. We started, when did that 2019-20 season? October, well, late September, right before opening night for the 2019-20 season, right? As a team, you and I. You and me, yes. You and me as a team. And then obviously we went through a name rebrand somewhere in the middle of that. And then obviously Patrick came on board, started making us sound better. Well, today's episode is episode number 100. How sweet oh, is wow. that? Oh, wow. That's pretty crazy? cool. Yeah, that's very crazy. I always wish I knew my whole episode count because I know on my thousandth episode, I'm expecting a Rolex out of both you <laughs> and Patrick. Um, so if you guys can team up on that. But yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for eight years, so I have no idea what my count is. I wish I knew that. But it's fun to know that you and I have been doing this for 100. That's, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, this is this is number 100. It's technically number 101 because we didn't publish one because we made a little bit of a mistake, oh, but we're going to pretend that one. We made a huge one, mistake that, that time. That one doesn't exist. So this is We did a whole 100. podcast that ended up being all wrong 30 minutes after we recorded it. Yeah, that was terrible. But this is number <laughs> 100 that is getting published. So to all of our followers, shout out to you. Our numbers are climbing. I do also have to shout out our listeners and our subscribers because October... Of these 25 months we've been doing it, October was far and away the best month we've ever had in terms of listeners, downloads, subscribers, people sharing it. It was the absolute best month we've ever had by a long mile. So well, keep it up. Keep telling your friends. Keep telling your friends' friends. And as JJ says, tell your t- tell your moms, tell your mom's friends, tell your friends' moms, tell all the moms. 
because exactly. we're doing great. We're episode number 100 into this bad boy. Tell everybody out here. But here's to another 100. That's fantastic news. And of course, we wouldn't do this if it wasn't for the fantastic listeners, right? It's just two dudes talking to each other. If we didn't have awesome listeners always engaging with us, whether it's Twitter, Reddit, or just on uh, milehighsports.com, we'd be pointless. Thanks to everybody out there, each and every one of you. Yes, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you. You. And you. (laughs) Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. (laughs) We'll be back... uh, after this Columbus game, I mean, we're going to have plenty of time. Probably Monday. Plenty of time after that. So, yeah, likely Monday. So, thanks for hanging out with us, as always. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey is for everyone. And we out you.